0: All right, Bettys, we are talking all about stress today, and we are going to be focusing in on one particular famous hormone called cortisol that is involved in the stress response. Yeah. I am a huge fan of the Bio-Optimizers Magnesium Breakthrough. It has seven forms of magnesium, which is going to help to transform your stress and your performance and your recovery and your sleep to the next building, recovery and health, the list goes on and on. You're basically getting them all in one supplement. Each supplement itself is 500 milligrams of magnesium, which I feel is So we're going to talk about the patterns of cortisol, the function of cortisol in the body, and of course, how you can also use some strategies that we'll talk about today to help reduce your stress response. Now, before we dive into all this geeky magic goodness, I do want to just mention that it is so easy as a healthcare provider or even as a consumer to get really mechanistic around human health. And what I what I mean by that is that we're going to talk about cortisol today. And it's really easy to think that, oh, well, if I just treat the cortisol problem, then all my issues and all my worries are going to go away. And of course, that Cannot be true because we are a very complex, interwoven, intermixed system with many different hormones, many different cells, tissues, glands, organs that speak to each other. So it's never just about, in this case, cortisol, right? If you are someone who likes to do puzzles, as I do, you know, if you were to take, let's say, a thousand piece puzzle and To open up the box and turn all the, you know, throw the puzzle pieces on the table. If you were to start trying to put those puzzle pieces together without a roadmap, right? Without the picture of the puzzle on the box, it is going to be incredibly hard for you to finish that puzzle because you're going to have no context, right? And this is actually the difference between mechanistic healthcare and vitalistic healthcare. So when we are mechanistic, we're just looking at the one puzzle piece in isolation. But of course, you know that the puzzle piece has you know, all the pieces that are around it and all the pieces that are related to it, the picture that it's trying to and the area of the puzzle that it's trying to uh, convey, and then of course the entire picture as well. So we're going to talk mechanistically a little bit today, but we are also going to give you some holistic solutions for how we can manage our stress. So I just wanted to say that because it is important that we don't get lost in all the details and just thinking that well, if I just take you know ashwagandha or if I just you know whatever, that I'm going to I'm going to fix everything. Because the truth of the matter is, is you are complex. You are Extra, just like the guacamole, and uh, and you, and we have to think about, we have to think about treating you as the ex, as the extra magical being that you are. Okay. So with that preamble in there, let's get into the function of cortisol in the body. It is not just a devil hormone designed to wreck, cause your hair to fall out and cause you to lose sleep and cause you to gain weight around your belly. It, has, it actually has a function. So the thing to remember about cortisol is that it is a counter-regulatory hormone, a counter-regulatory hormone. Hormone. So, meaning that uh, cortisol, along with a couple of other hormones, uh, glucagon, epinephrine, growth hormone, these are designed to oppose insulin. So, if you remember uh, from any of the podcasts where I've talked about insulin, insulin is designed to take glucose and put it into the cell so that the cell can then make energy. Cortisol counters that, meaning that it will fight insulin to keep the blood glucose. In the bloodstream and not to put it into the cell. Okay, so this is uh, these hormones in in aggregates: the glucagon, epinephrine, glu- uh, growth hormone, cortisol. These are hormones that essentially defend against hypoglycemia. Okay, and overall, they are part of what is known as our sympathetic nervous system, commonly referred to as fight or flight. For women, uh, we don't tend to fight as much as we tend to do something called tend and befriend. So we often talk about the stress response as fight or flight. You either flight the the stressor or you fight it. Uh, and we see this with our world leaders um which tend to be male at large where there's like wars, um, or there's retreats or what have you. Women don't do that. Women, we want to clean up our environment, right? We want to tend to our environment or we want to talk it out with our girlfriends, which is actually why neurologically girls night is so damn important or having a community of women where you are free to be yourself is so important for a female's neurological health because we don't tend to do the fight or flight thing. Maybe we do the flight thing. We tend to avoid things uh, a little bit, but we tend to have this tender befriend response. And I can tell you personally... I used to always think it was like a weird quirk of mine that every time I had exams that were coming up or a big presentation that I had to give, that all of a sudden I was like, you know what? You know what? I need to reorganize my closet. Like all of a sudden, it was a, 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 the utmost priority to have my clothes organized by season and by color and by length or like. Poof! All of a sudden, my makeup brushes—they needed to be cleaned. Like this is the female uh, stress response. The other thing that I used to do, um, and I, I again, I thought it was like I had inher- inherited this from my uh, grandmother, was I would just re- I would rearrange all my furniture in my in my living room or my bedroom or wherever it was, and I was like, you know what? I used to watch my grandmother on my Portuguese side she would rearrange all of her like prized crosses and biblical you know the Our Lady of Fatima and all these different uh, you know religious uh, things that she loved and she would move them around she'd move her couches around she'd move her you know where the the little seating area was and every time we'd go over to her house like easily once a month it would be different um, so now I know that she was really stressed out <laughs> um, and I used to call this like Portuguese but really what this is, is the tend and response for women. So if you find yourself doing that, if you're a Betty that's listening and you're like, oh yeah, I totally, totally avoid what I'm supposed to be doing. And I like clean my makeup brushes or rearrange my closet or whatever. Um, this is This is a normal stress response in the female. So tender, befriend, fight or flight. What this does physiologically is it is really designed for a short-term stressor, right? So we see things like our heart rate will increase, our blood pressure will rise, cholesterol synthesis is elevated. So we've talked about cholesterol on the podcast before. Cholesterol is a potent wound substrate. So it is kind of like the first responders when there is uh, any sort of damage. Cholesterol shows up uh, like the hero that she is and, and patches it all up. Uh, we will all see, we will also see things like insulin sensitivities downregulated, right? Um, we will see, um, uh, clotting factors that are increased. So you are, you're, uh, you know, if, if you think about the proverbial tiger or bear or whatever, if you are nicked, like if the, if the nails of the tiger, let's say scratch you, you don't want to bleed to death with, with, um, very viscous, uh, blood. You want it to be thick and opaque and, 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 um, to clot faster. Your digestion slows down, serotonin production dips. So serotonin, of course, is involved in mood, but it's also really important in sleep because the body uses serotonin to synthesize melatonin, right? And you know, we can go off on a geeky magic carpet ride on melatonin. It you know governs the entire sleep wake cycle. Um, but serotonin is specifically involved in wakefulness. Triggering sleep and and an REM sleep, and of course we also see in that stress response that your reproduction um, is also like it's like who cares if you're if you're stressed like it doesn't you know you're not thinking about sex when there's a tiger chasing you right or at least you shouldn't be thinking about it um, you're thinking about survival so this is especially true if you if you've known or maybe you are someone who's had trouble conceiving one of the things that the uh, doctors should be telling you is to manage your stress okay so Short term, right you know to avoid the proverbial tiger or the, the you know the, the stressor, this response is actually brilliant. This is a brilliant response because it is perfectly adapted for our survival. Now of course the problem is in our modern world we don't have tigers, right? We have phones. We sit for long periods of time, which actually is a flexion in general increases sympathetic tone and we'll talk about this in another podcast that I want I want to go over in terms of posture. And why flexion actually improves uh, or increases your sympathetic tone, which is the um, uh, tone is technically defined as your resistance to stretch, but your axial sympathetic tone and appendicular tone as well. Modern threats are like the phone, like I mentioned. We don't move as much as we should be. Maybe we have jobs that we hate. Maybe we have partners that we're not super fond of or that stress us out. Um, or maybe we're, you know, not as entrenched in community, like I was saying, or social networks that are really meaningful to us, right? Um, this tend and befriend, like for females specifically, it's so important. Even if you have one, right? Even one friend, where you're like, I can just lay it all out, and I know that this person's going to be there for me. And you know, there's so many other things we consume Franken foods, right? We we consume foods that are not actually real. There's toxins in our makeup. There's toxins in our home. Mold. You know, the list goes on and on and on. And this can lead to chronic stress. Chronic, not not like crazy pulling your hair out, screaming at the top of your lung stress, but what I would refer to as chronic low-grade stress or chronic low-grade inflammation. Okay, And this is important because cortisol, when we have elevated cortisol over the long-term, this is directly linked with our longevity the cortisol curve like just the normal daily pattern of cortisol in and of itself which we'll get to in just a moment is so significant that it can predict your lifespan it can predict whether or not you are more susceptible to cardiovascular disease and for late and ladies that are listening men too still our number one killer not cancer it's cardiovascular disease That is the number one thing that's going to get you. So if your cortisol is out of whack, it is going to increase your likelihood of CBD or cardiovascular disease and Alzheimer's. So let's talk about what the cortisol curve actually is, okay? So the cortisol curve kind of looks like a ski slope, right? So in the morning, there is something called the cortisol awakening response, CAR for short, C-A-R, cortisol awakening response. Response. And that is basically the change in the concentration of cortisol that occurs uh, like in the first hour uh, after waking from sleep. And after that hour, there is a stepwise attenuation. There should be a stepwise decrease of cortisol throughout the day so that by the evening, when it's time for your beauty sleep, when it's time for um, bed, There's very little cortisol left. And actually, when we look at the pattern of cortisol uh, over the course of the day, the lowest point of cortisol is going to be reached at about four hours, uh, like into your sleep cycle. Okay. Call it somewhere between uh, midnight and like four in the morning. Okay. And of course, you know, sleep is regulated by uh, many different mechanisms, but the, The two that are most important here uh, in in terms of the brain are going to be the suprachiasmatic nucleus and the HPA axis, which is where we find our cortisol. So... We have an understanding now of what cortisol does in the body. It actually has a point, right? It's involved. It should be involved in this short-term stressor. There is a short-term stressor that is threatening either your survival or your ability to do the thing. You need to appropriately adapt to it. So in this case, it would be that uh, cortisol response, that sympathetic fight or flight, tendon befriend response. Okay, And then the stressor should go away. And then you should return to normal. So that counter-regulatory hormone, that counter-regulatory response should eva- should leave. And then you can kind of get back to insulin bringing the glucose into the cells and everything's kind of chugging along and you're getting ATP that's produced in the cells, etc., so what happens when the stressor doesn't leave? What happens when you are married to your stressor? What happens when your kids are your stressor? Your family member who is aging and sick is your stressor. You know, or you know, your boss is your stressor. You have to see those things every single day. And what we see clinically is when there is a woman or a man who is chronically stressed. So this this counter-regulatory response, the sympathetic nervous system response is aggravated over the long-term, we see elevated cortisol, right? So some of those symptoms might look like this. And I've just prepared a list, so I'll read it off for you. And usually, actually, when I, when I present around cortisol, I'll, I'll ask the room, like, just raise your hand when you've heard three that apply to you. And I have, I'll call it here, maybe 10 or 12, and I never get through the list. Like, by the time I'm at number four, most of the hands are up in the room. So I just want you, just as a mental note, like for you to like raise your hand um, in your head, or you can raise it wherever you're listening to. I am incredibly bullish on sauna as a therapy for recovery, heart health, it's crucial for hormonal balance and achieving a state of well-being necessary for a strong physique and a strong mind. If you visit sunlighten.com slash better and use code better to get a discount, that is sunlighten, S-U-N-L-I-G-H-T-E-N.com slash B-E-T-T-E-R and use code better at checkout. Okay, so here's some of the symptoms around chronic cortisol elevation, all right? So needing to eat or snack frequently to avoid fatigue or being irritable. Having salt cravings. Being wired and tired at night, which means basically when it's time for you to go to sleep, you have difficulty either falling asleep or maintaining sleep. So initiating or maintenance of sleep. Your heart is pounding and you get palpitations for no reason. You are starting to develop multiple food sensitivities, weight gain, especially around the waist. We tend to see cortisol when cortisol is elevated for a long period of time. We tend to see um, kind of like through the belly area um, a lot of a lot of weight gain there. Reduced sex drive and libido, so you don't feel like sex fatigue maybe after like you're tired after if you do have sex you're tired afterwards brain fog so you're having difficulty concentrating and remembering things and I'll, the reason why is because cortisol has a negative um when we think about where memories are stored it's stored in an area in the brain called the hippocampus and cortisol actually helps encode memories so emotionally salient things so like you know you fall down on your bike because you tried to trick or you know there's um you did something wrong uh, and it was something that was made public or or anything that emotionally is relevant to you, cortisol will encode that into your hippocampus so that you don't make those mistakes again. However, when you are constantly bathing the hippocampus in cortisol, it actually destroys the size of cortisol and actually makes it harder for you to, uh, sorry, it destroys the size of the hippocampus and it actually makes it harder to retrieve those memories. So it's sort of like a continuum, right? Like on the low end, cortisol kind of puts the memories in the hippocampus, but when there's cortisol all the time it actually destroys the size of your memory center uh, and your brain in general. Um, lack of energy in the morning. You wake up, you feel tired. You don't wake up feeling refreshed. Mid-afternoon is another big time for like a big energetic slump. Okay? Uh, a lot of people will also complain of migrating pain for no reason, inability to handle stress, stressful situations. You are experiencing more and more anxiety, potentially even into panic attacks. You are easily startled so this one was a really big one for me. I used to not be able to go to the movies because anytime there was like a really big scene, like I would jump out of my seat like a, like a cat, like it was like my hand, I was on the ceiling you know, was shaking. Um, or inability to uh, tolerate like heat or temperature fluctuation, reduced exercise capacity. So basically uh, if you were to, you know, all the exercises that you're used to doing, all of a sudden it's like, you can't do them or you're breathless on, on exertion, like going up a flight of stairs or something. So, That is the list that I often read out to people. So if you've been nodding your head or going, Jesus, that is totally me, understand that you may have a chronic elevated cortisol response here. So a lot of times people will look at this and say, oh, well, like that just means like my adrenals are shot, right? But there's when we when we think about the nomenclature around that, there's no such thing as adrenal fatigue. Let me just say that. That doesn't mean that your symptoms are not real. It just means that your adrenals cannot just go rogue and be like, you know what? Fuck this shit! I hate this life. I'm just not going to work anymore because all of these are not. uh, So the assumption around adrenal fatigue is that you have low cortisol, but that doesn't actually happen unless you have like a primary, like primary uh, hypercortisolemia. Um, pardon me. Uh, like when we think about uh, something like Addison's disease, this is actually like your body cannot make the cortisol. Okay, Um, but when we think about this diagnosis of adrenal fatigue, I want to just encourage you to move away from that. What you are actually experiencing is probably something more like chronic fatigue or burnout syndrome, which are medically uh, accepted. Words that have exactly the same symptoms. So I'm not saying that you're. Please, Betty, hear me. When I'm, I'm not dismissing you. I absolutely. If those are the things that you are feeling, I believe you. It's just the nomenclature that's important. And if you've known me for more than a minute, words really matter. They dictate the way that we interact with our world. So it's not that it's the adrenals that are going rogue. Um, You know, the only, the only organs that get to do that are our ovaries around the age of 50. Our ovaries are like, listen, I've been working for 35 or 40 years now. I want my Rolex. I'm going to retire. Those are the only organs that do that. The adrenals do not do that. Okay. So if you are someone who has identified that those symptoms... Um, apply to you, there's a couple of different ways that I want you to think about it. First is we want to be thinking about our capacity for energy production. So adenosine triphosphate, if you remember that from, I'm bringing you back nightmares now from high school biology, but ATP, that is our energetic currency made in the mitochondria. So if you have energy issues if you are having trouble falling asleep staying asleep if you feel tired in the morning when you wake up if you feel tired in the morning or midday if you need coffee to get you going it is likely that it is not your adrenals even though they're probably pumping out a lot of cortisol but it's also that there's a an element of energetic insufficiency and this is where we have to go cellular and look at the mitochondria okay so Let's think about why this is important. So when we think about energy production, there's a couple of different things that influence our energy production. One is how, many, how much precursors of energy are there? What we would call substrate availability. Is it, glu- how much glucose do we have? How much ketone bodies do we have? How much are available and in what quantity, right? Which, what's available and how much? The second is hormonal regulation. We've talked, uh, I'm trying to do kind of this big series on hormonal regulation. For example, do we have an appropriate response of insulin in response to a rise in blood glucose? Or uh, on the opposite side, glucagon in, in response to a fall in blood glucose? Do we, is, are, are our hormones doing the things that they should be doing? And then of course, there's a genetic component to energy production as well. Uh, How fast or slow we can move through the process of creating uh, energy through ATP. Some of this is genetic, um, but you can also, um, like we would call this like enzyme modification, right? So the enzymes that kind of like, um, if you think about like a relay race with the baton, passing the baton, how quickly can the enzyme pass the baton to the next enzyme? And of course, that is you know derived from many lifestyle factors. Uh, some of it's genetic, but we can also talk about uh, lifestyle factors like sleep quality, exercise, um, activity levels, diet, sun exposure, lean body mass, et cetera, et cetera. So... So if you are somebody who wants to improve their energy there's a couple of really simple things that I'm going to give you today right now for you to begin to help and these are gentle they start off gentle and they will increase in their intervention as as my philosophy is right first do no harm you want to do the smallest simplest you know minimal effective dose to be able to get you feeling better So the first thing, and I'm going to take a bit of a neurological approach here, is we want to strengthen your frontal lobe. Why the hell is this important? Well, your frontal lobe is the CEO. She is the CEO of your body. Her primary function, among other things, is to inhibit lower brain centers. So your your frontal lobe is like where the motor cortex is. It's where the prefrontal cortex is. This is where we plan about the future executive decision-making, etc. But physiologically in the body, what she does is she inhibits lower brain centers like your limbic system. So if you are somebody who is has been chronically stressed the likelihood of your frontal lobe being robust and strong is going to be lower. So we want to think about how we can love up on your frontal lobe. And the things that are most toxic to our frontal lobe, we know that technology and blue light messes up. I mentioned the suprachiasmatic nucleus earlier, that is our sleep-wake cycle regulator. So if you are constantly bathing, if you are like getting that blue light later in the day, that is going to influence and be toxic to your frontal lobe. Sleep, lack of sleep, toxic to your frontal lobe. We all know, uh, and I remember this when my kids were younger, waking up multiple times overnight for feedings or whatever it was. And then just the next day, just being like an emotional mess, like the littlest thing, like I would watch a commercial and I'd be crying, (laughs) right? So it's about really... The, the the better your sleep, the better your frontal lobe is going to be. And the stronger she is, the more strongly she will be able to inhibit your limbic system. And your limbic system is when we are, I don't want to say emotional, because I kind of have a problem with that word. There's nothing wrong with being emotional. It's being irrational, right? Like looking at a, when you're looking at a commercial and you're crying, like there's, you know, But you can make the argument that that's maybe an inappropriate response, right? So we wanna be thinking about how we can properly inhibit our lower brain centers. And rest, we wanna be also making sure that we are doing things to, uh, pardon me, we wanna be doing things that are gonna be strengthening our frontal lobe. And the things that are known to do that are meditation, right, affirmations, unstructured time for women. So if you find yourself working This always happens to me, Bettys. Oh my God. Like two or three o'clock in the afternoon, I'm just like aimlessly switching between the tabs on my computer. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. I'm just like scrolling them and I'll often catch myself and be like, what the hell am I doing? So I'm just going to go for a little walk. (laughs) And of course, movement is very, very strongly activated. Uh, It's very strongly activating for the frontal lobe because our motor cortex is in the frontal lobe. So any kind of movement will wake your brain up. It'll bring blood flow into that frontal lobe. So that's kind of my first like three-pronged approach in terms of strengthening up. This is really about getting your circadian rhythm really strong. So making sure that your sleep is really great, reducing technology, and then low-grade movement through the day, like little movement snacks. Think about about them as like, instead of going for like a little nutrition snack, go for a little movement snack, go for a five-minute walk, energize, bring blood into the frontal lobe, and you will find that its ability to inhibit those lower brain centers, and therefore your response to stressors are going to be better. The other thing that I also like when we're thinking about improving our energetic capacity is light. So there's been quite a bit of research on the influence of natural light to our circadian biology and one of the best things that you and I mentioned it around, you know, technology being really toxic like late at night being toxic to the frontal lobe, but the opposite is also true. Like getting out in the morning no matter where you live, if you are in sunny California, sunny Florida, or you are in New York, or you are in Toronto, where it's not necessarily as warm, getting out in the morning for like 5-10 minutes, honestly, like you, or even just going to a window, although that's not as ideal, uh, getting outside for 5 or 10 minutes is going to be so beneficial to that circadian rhythm in your brain, that suprachiasmatic nucleus. And you can also augment that with other things. So there's red light therapy. Uh, I have like a little mini uh, red light therapy box that I work um, that I, I, I will switch on while I'm working during the day. And it's really, really great because it will, again, it's like activating those light receptors, activating that suprachiasmatic l- nucleus and really telling your brain because when we're indoors all day, we don't actually get enough light. There's not enough light indoors as compared to outdoors. So as much as you can, exposure to natural light during the day. And then i mean the other thing that i can that i can offer in terms of helping with both your cortisol curve and your cortisol regulation is going to bed earlier and you know when we think about the word midnight right that means middle of the night it means or it should translate maybe more appropriately to middle of your sleep cycle <laughs> So that means maybe going to bed at nine or ten, and I know that that might be shocking to some of you because you're like "What? I only go to bed at eleven thirty but uh, if you go to bed at nine or ten, all of a sudden midnight does become very close to the median or the mean or the the middle of your sleep cycle, and you can say to me all day long well i'm not like I'm a night owl and chances are that you have exposed yourself to so much blue light that you have had a phase shift in terms of when you are most productive. So I don't I don't completely buy into this like, you know, some people are bears, some people are wolves, some people are whatever the other archetypes are, but go to sleep just try 15 minutes earlier. Just do 15 minutes earlier and see how that affects your sleep levels which is going to affect your stress response. And then of course, in terms of supplementation, I mentioned ashwagandha at the top of this um, Geeky Magic episode. Ashwagandha is a cortisol-lowering uh, herb it is an adaptogen uh, so i I really like that if we are also kind of getting into some of the nitty-gritty around like supplementation and then I would also say you know of course green leafy vegetables um, you know healthy good fats we want to be reducing our ratio of omega-6 to omega-3 fats so omega-3s are the things that we really want to be thinking about those reduce inflammation and whenever I talk about stress and inflammation the two are I'm using those two terms terms interchangeably. So anything that can reduce your inflammation is going to be helpful for you. So upping your omega-3s, I recommend like at least two grams uh, a day if you have been somebody who has been under a lot of chronic stress. And particularly when we're actually looking at the composition of an omega-3, we have two different types of uh, compounds there. One is called EPA, the other is DPA. DHA. So EPA and DHA both do wonderful things. We want DHA to be, uh, if you can, we want a lot of DHA because that is going to be very, very helpful to decreasing brain inflammation. Okay. So there you have it. We have meditation. So you can check out my podcast with Emily Fletcher. She's done a whole thing on what meditation is. Getting good sleep, reducing your technology, getting outside in the morning, taking some supplementation like omega-3s and ashwagandha to A, lower cortisol or to decrease overall. Inflammation. And also, just as a final thought, you know, just know that you're worth it. Like, you're worth investing in. You're worth going outside for five minutes in in the morning. You're worth actually putting your work away for the evening and not being on your phone so that you are, you know, decreasing your melatonin and all the things that are happening there. So, I hope you found this useful. And I will continue our conversation uh, on our little geeky magic carpet ride next week. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. For those of you who want to continue on this week's Geeky Magic Carpet Ride with me, visit bettershow.co forward slash show notes. You'll find research, links, summary notes, musings that I prepared in preparation for the podcast. And I often throw in some of my best practices, bonuses and links. All the juicy bits are in there for you. And now for the obligatory legal and medical disclaimer. This podcast is for general information only, and the advice recommendations we discuss do not replace medicine, chiropractic, or any other primary healthcare provider's advice, treatment, or care. In the consumption of this podcast, there is no doctor-patient relationship formed and the use and implementation of the information discussed are at the sole discretion of the listener. The information and opinions shared on this podcast are not intended to be a substitute for primary care, diagnosis, or treatment. This episode is brought to you by yours truly, Dr. Stephanie Estima and Leverage. Leverage handles all production, creates the images that you see on my social media, and takes out all my awkward pauses. They are my secret Magic Bullet. You can visit them at getleverage.com dot com forward slash better.